0: Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Titan Up The Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm a little bit sleep-deprived, but other than that, okay. I've been thinking a lot lately about astrology, which is weird because I'm an Aries and Aries don't believe in astrology. But when Lisa and I were camping a few weeks ago, I ended up spending a lot of time staring up at the stars, and it got me thinking about constellations. It feels like there has to be some kind of a midway point between ancient Greek and American constellations. Because the ancient Greek ones are like, Those three stars in a row represent a great and mighty hunter who is chasing a scorpion across the skies because he's infatuated with the goddess of the hunt, which seems like an awful lot of backstory for three stars that are kind of in a row, especially when you contrast that with American constellations, which are like, that looks like a big ladle. And that other one? That looks like a smaller ladle. I guess maybe that's why I've never been super into astrology, is that I'm just not that crazy about soup. Anyway, we got a comic to discuss, so without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's Synopsis Rhyme is submitted by Andrew Jefferson, and it came in before I put the moratorium on song parodies. so. Here goes. Wonder girl, wonder girl, grief counselor, she'll give it a whirl. Free drinks, any size, strangles cats when hypnotized. Look out, here comes the wonder girl. Is she cool? Listen, pal, she's a May-December romance gal. Punches out all the crooks and deals with Beast Boy's dirty looks. Hey there, there goes the wonder girl. On Hub's podcast, she is no aqua lad, but we love her still because she's totally rad. Wonder Girl, Wonder Girl, friendly, awesome Wonder Girl. Terry Long, really Wolfman, but you do you, rider man to her. Life's a great big soda pop. She'll be there whenever crime drops. You'll find the Wonder Girl. Thanks, Andrew. New Teen Titans, Volume 2, Number 45, July, 1988. Dial D for Danger. Written by Marv Wolfman, drotted by Eduardo Barreto, inked by Romeo Tangal, lettered by Albert de Guzman, Colored by Adrienne Roy, and edited by Barbara Kiesel. Teen Titan Roll Call! Wonder Girl, Starfire, Raven, Jericho, Nightwing, Cyborg, Beast Boy, Danny fucking Chase, and some kid named Christopher King. Previously in New Teen Titans, Cyborg, aka Victor Stone, went figure skating with his girlfriend-slash-physical-therapist Dr. Sarah Charles. As they skated, Sarah informed Vic that she had been offered a big promotion that would necessitate her moving to San Francisco. She was excited about the opportunity and intended to accept the offer, but stressed that she had no intention of breaking up with Vic and was dedicated to making their relationship work. Victor threw a little tantrum, accused her of dumping him, and stormed off. Then, a costumed ungulate enthusiast calling himself Wildebeest attacked Sarah's office at Star Labs. Cyborg and the other titans hurried to the rescue. Once Sarah was safe, Vic apologized for being such an asshole, and they got back together. Hooray! Then Vic threw another little tantrum about Sarah moving away, and again accused her of dumping him. Then he apologized for being such an asshole, and they got back together.
1: Hooray!
0: Also, it turns out Danny Chase's grandpa is basically James Bond, but good at science. God-zooks! What exciting new turn will Victor and Sarah's relationship take next? What world-threatening menaces will push our titular titans past the limits of their abilities? And how will Sarah make her case that she and Vic have what it takes to work things out? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so Vic throws a little tantrum and accuses Sarah of dumping him a failed teenage romance and a magic rotary phone, and by comparing their relationship to that of Donna and Terry Long. Damn it, Sarah! A distressed young man flees in terror through the New York City subway tunnels, pursued by a scary lady who is made out of fire and trying to murder him. As he runs away, the young man reflects that he and the combustible woman who is chasing him used to be best pals, until one time they had sex. I guess it didn't go great because after that they never talked again and eventually she and her family moved away. I think some further tragedy relating to their sexual encounter is kind of implied but never specified, so I don't know. Maybe he made sound effects during or something. Just so you know, that almost never goes over well. <laughs> Anyway, the lady seems on the verge of incinerating the guy, when suddenly she gets hit by a train. Ouch. Some good Samaritans lift the guy off the train tracks, but his troubles aren't over yet, because it turns out that being hit by a subway train didn't kill his attacker. It just pissed her off and changed her body composition, so that now she's made out of water instead of fire. This newly aquatic aggressor starts hurling blasts of water at the object of her ire, as he stumbles up the stairs out of the subway stop. Fortunately for the young man, he is greeted at the top of the steps by a familiar assortment of colorfully clad crime fighters. The Teen Titans have arrived. Hooray! The gang starts mixing it up with the water lady. Doesn't go so great. The soggy supervillain smushes a bunch of water into Starfire's lungs and tries to drown her. Danny fucking Chase uses his telekinesis to lift the sputtering space princess way up into the air, which seems to stop her from drowning because I guess water is afraid of heights? Good to know. The Water Lady beats up the rest of the Titans, but then Starfire recovers enough to start peppering the hot-tempered hydrator with magic spacefire punches. Fearing that she might evaporate from the heat of Coriander's assault, the malevolently moist malefactor flees into the sewer and makes her escape. The gang takes the aggressive Elemental's intended victim back to their T-shaped skyscraper so that he can fill them in on exactly what the fuck is going on. Once he dries off and changes into one of Vic's old sweatsuits, the guy hunkers down and starts shoveling expositional coal into the narrative engine of this comic. His name is Christopher King, and the lady who is trying to murder him is Victoria Grant. Chris and Vicky used to be best friends. A few years ago, they found a pair of magic rotary dial phones in Chris's attic. Instead of numbers, the dials had four letters on them, H, E, R, and O. When the pair of young teens dialed the word hero, they would each turn into a random new superhero, each with a different appearance, power set, and personality. Over the course of the next few years, the two teens used their respective dials to turn into hundreds of different heroes and had adventures fighting crime together. Somewhere along the way, they started dating, but eventually broke up. Chris decided that turning into a superhero was dumb, so he stopped doing that when he went off to college. He eventually started dating a red-haired lady who seemed nice and was good at science. He hadn't seen Vicky for over a year, when one day, she used her dial to turn into a giant lizard lady, bust into his dorm, and beat the shit out of the unsuspecting undergrad. She kicked his ass all over town, then took off for a while, announcing her intention to come back later and eventually kill her former paramour. Once she was gone, Chris rushed to his parents' house where he had stashed his own H-dial before heading to college. When he arrived at the king's suburban residence, he found that the place had been trashed and the H-dial was missing. Remembering from his own hero days that Vicky's transformation would only last an hour, followed by a one-hour refractory period before it could be used again, Chris hopped on a plane and headed to New York, the one city in the DC universe that boasted a superhero team whose headquarters was listed in the Yellow Pages. Unfortunately, before he could make it to our hero's distinctively shaped base of operations, Vicky had caught up to him. As Chris was filling most of the Titans in on his backstory, there is one half-metal face which was conspicuously absent from the exposition party. Cyborg was across town at Dr. Sarah Charles' apartment, helping her pack up her things for the big move. Well, that's surprisingly mature of the big partially promethium lug. Wait, no it isn't. Turns out, Vic is just using this show of helpfulness as an opportunity to yet again throw a tantrum where he accuses Sarah of dumping him. It would appear that I'm not the only one who is sick of this shit, because Sarah seems to have had enough. She's like, look, we've been over this a bunch. I need to move from my job, but I still love you, and I think we can make a long-distance relationship work. I've got a lot of frequent flyer miles, and you've got a goddamn private jet. Anything else bugging you? Vic is like, look, it's just not going to work out. I'm a superhero, and you're a doctor. Plus, you're like a lot older than me. Sarah's like, fuck that. Lots of couples have age differences. Vic is like, yeah, but it's only cool when the guy's the older one. Everyone knows that. Wow, fuck you, Vic. Sarah's like, look, I love you and want us to be together, but you seem pretty keen on wallowing in self-pity, so why don't you go ahead and do that, and when you're done, give me a call, okay? Vic storms out of the apartment. He stands in the middle of the street, then yells and punches out a city bus. Dang. Between this and the subway incident at the opening, this issue is pretty rough on public transportation. What's next? Is Beast Boy gonna pants a monorail? Does Dick shove the Staten Island Ferry down a flight of stairs? Nearby, in a dark, unfurnished apartment, Vicky Grant huddles in the corner and cries. Wait a minute, she's only been in the city for a few hours and has already found an apartment? Guess she really does have superpowers. The former hero has an internal dialogue with some sort of sinister entity that has taken up residence inside her noodle. Vicky thinks, Man, I wish Chris would love me again. I'm all sad and hurt about it. The sinister entity is like, Fuck that guy. He sucks. Stop being sad and start being mad. Let's murder him. And maybe some other people too. What do you say? Just get out that magic rotary phone and dial hero backwards? Then we can get all evil and powerful again and go fuck shit up together. Apparently, this is a pretty compelling argument because Vicky does indeed pull out her H dial and dials out O R E H. Instantly, the distraught young woman is transformed into an impervious supervillain made out of diamonds. She Kool Aid mans her way out of the tenement building, blows up a fire truck, and starts making a beeline towards the Titan Tower. Cyborg is having a post bus-punch-mopey-stroll when he walks by, and is like, Hey, that lady likes destroying municipally-owned vehicles as much as I do. I'd better go introduce myself. He goes over to say hello, but rather than bond with him over both having names that start with Vic and their shared love of destroying public property, Vicky just starts yelling and wailing on the mostly molybdenum marvel. Victor makes an effort to defend himself, but Vicky rips off one of his robot arms and starts smacking him with it until he passes out. Ouch. Back at the Titan Tower, Christopher King is watching Donna work out when they get word that an unauthorized intruder is making their way towards the building. They rush towards the control room just in time to see Vicky bust through the wall, demanding that the gang hand over Chris. The gang declines to do as she instructs them, so she beats them all up. Raven grabs the mineral-bodied malfeasant and and yoinks her off to that secret dimension filled with lightning and stalagmites that the Azerathian Enchantress goes to when she needs to yell about her feelings. Despite having displayed an enthusiasm for yelling about her feelings, Vicky is not too stoked about her new surroundings. When Raven tries to use her mystical nonsense powers to chill her the fuck out, Vicky grabs the avian-themed empath by the face and tosses her off of a stalagmite. Then she yells at the voice in her head to teleport her back to Earth, pronto. Her body begins to pulse with otherworldly energy, and suddenly, Vicky finds herself transported back to the Titan Tower. No fair. The voices in my head never do cool stuff when I tell them to. We learn that the voice in Vicky's head is named Korna. At least I think we learn that. The information is presented as a very quick aside, so there's a chance that it's just a typo and Vicky is thinking about drinking a Corona. If so, I get it. Beating up the Titans looks like thirsty work. Once she's back at the Tower, Vicky renews her single-minded, or maybe double-minded given the whole Corna thing, pursuit of Christopher King. Once again, the Titans try to stop her, and once again their efforts prove to be futile. As Vicky closes in on him, Chris begs Jericho to do something, but the mutton-chopped Marvel just shrugs back at Chris as if to say, like what? Vicky plows through the put-upon protagonists as if they were ninjas in the final scene of an 80s action movie. Then she hoists Chris over one shoulder like it was just a sack of potatoes who had had a tempestuous fling with her and then dumped her before it went off to potato college. Kind of lost the metaphor there. She's like, I should kill you, and I will, but first The voices in my head demand that I bring you to the Children of the Sun. So I guess I'll do that. Then she skedaddles, leaving the Titans and us readers to wonder, who the fuck are the Children of the Sun? To be continued. Children of the Sun sounds like it might be some kind of hippie thing. Oh no, I bet they try to make Chris eat carob or something. Run, Chris! Run! And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? Hey, it's going all right. How are you? I'm doing okay. You remember how last week when we talked, I hadn't slept in a couple of days? Mm Mm-hmm. It's now been nine of them. And good news, I just think I don't need to sleep anymore. You must have slept a little bit. Maybe. But if I did, I don't remember it. Probably because I was asleep at the time.
2: That still sounds pretty rough. I feel pretty weird if I don't get a proper sleep for a day or two in a row.
0: Yeah, I don't really have a good control study for not feeling weird to uh, set it against. But um, yeah, uh, Finley's recovery is uh, going along, I think, pretty well. He's a little stir-crazy, and so am I, but his leg is healing. Well, at least you
2: got all those good dog
0: drugs. Yeah. How about yourself? Do you have those good dog (laughs) drugs? No, man, fresh out. Uh, I'm sorry. Did I already ask you how it's going? Yes. Okay. Well, that's a pretty good sign. (laughs) Yeah, off to a start. Well, you want to talk about a comic book? Sure.
2: Corey, what did you think of this comic book? You know, I am still trying to figure out why this one didn't quite resonate with me. The idea of an estranged superhero couple, half of whom is being taken over by an evil third party clashing with the Titans. And, uh, oh yeah, and uh, the one that's been taken over has all kinds of different superhero powers. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a potentially really interesting setup for a story. Mm-hmm. And it just, I don't know, it just it didn't click with me for some reason. I think because at the outset, I was preoccupied with like, oh geez, this is just going to be another one of those ex-girlfriends are the worst <laughs> stories.
0: It really is. And honestly, I think I liked this comic book a bit better than you did. I definitely had a lot of issues with it, but it's the first one in a while that seems like it's going somewhere. I don't think it's necessarily part of like a huge story arc for the Titans, but it at least seems to be setting something up. So I am reluctantly filled with some hope, (laughs) Um, which, you know, may be a mistake. But It is definitely in the same vein of Marv Wolfman comics that have a theme along the lines of women and their feelings. They'll be the death of us all.
2: Yeah, yeah. And so I think that was like my initial misgiving. Pretty much towards the end, you find out that like, okay, it's not like a, you know, air quotes, crazy ex-girlfriend story. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it is, but they kind of say, well... It's because this character has been taken over by evil forces. So that like sort of dampens it a little bit, but I still had that taste in my mouth, so I was still like, Ugh. It's
0: also inconsistent even within the story, what the background of the two characters from dial H for Hero is with one another. Like in the opening pages in, I keep wanting to call him Robbie, that's the first guy who used the H dial. Mm-hmm. but Chris.
2: Chris King.
1: Yeah,
0: early on in Chris King's thought captions, it is setting up a different kind of relationship than the one he
2: describes later. It's so confusing. My notes say, page three, confused. Am I supposed to be? Or is this bad? What are they embarrassed about? (laughs) It's weird. It was setting
0: it up like there was this really tragic, fraught backstory between these two. Like, They were friends and then they hooked up once and it specifically describes it as one afternoon and it was way too soon for them and it fucked up their relationship and they never spoke to one another after they had sex when they were 16. And so I was like, well, is there some like religious background that they had where they have all this extra guilt about that? Is this like an evangelical thing? Or is it like a more fucked up story than that in terms of their connection to one another? Because it really is painting it like this is a super dramatic thing that it was just like they had premarital sex and it was wrong on just a fundamental level and fucked up both of their lives forever. And so it's like, is there some like VC Andrews shit to this? Like, were they brother and sister or something? Exactly. I was waiting for that other shoe to drop and it just never did. No, and then later on, when Chris tells the story to the Titans, maybe he's sugarcoating it for them or downplaying some other fucked up thing that happened. But when he retells the story, it sounds like, yeah, we were friends, then we started dating, then uh, it kind of fizzled out, I went off to college and started dating somebody else. It's like, oh, well, huh, okay. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there was that disconnect there. And there were a few other things in the comic book that, I don't know, In the first issue of a longer arc, even if it's just a two-issue arc, it's not uncommon. And I think you're supposed to be confused by certain things so that you're interested in picking up the next issue and finding out how these pieces fit together and making these disparate elements make sense. And so it reels you in that way, kind of, and it Feels like in certain ways that's what it's doing. Like it drops this, like, I don't know, like four fifths of the way through the comic book. There's this idea that there's some character that we have never heard anything else about that is maybe living inside of Vicky. There's one little tiny caption thing that says, Corna's eyes sparkle.
2: Mother would be so pleased. Yeah, it's so disjointing. I was like, who the fuck is that?
0: Yeah. And. It can be the kind of thing where it's just like, wow, I got to pick up the next issue to find out who Corna was. But with Wolfman's recent track record with these issues, there is a big part of me that is just like, is that just
2: a typo? Did he forget that her name was Vicky? Is he going to remember to follow up on any of these elements? Apparently not, because I was annoyed slash curious enough that I googled it and I couldn't find any record online of the Korna character in the DCU. Did you? I did the same Google and like, I don't want to
0: read ahead, but I was like, uh, who is this Korna person? And it was like, do you mean Kronos? I'm like, no, I don't mean nope. Kronos. It's like, do you mean Lamb Korma? It's like, no, it sounds good, but no. <laughs> so, I mean, I am guardedly hopeful that we will find out in the next issue, but it's hard to really hold out too much hope for that. Yep. That being said, I do think it's an interesting issue, and it did hold my attention in a way that not a ton of them have recently. First of all, diminished role for Danny Fucking Chase in this issue, so I appreciated that. Mm-hmm. He still does fine, and I think is probably complimented at some point on how brilliant he is in everything, but he's not the central figure in the book, which was nice. I also have always been really intrigued by the Dial H for Hero series. I haven't read a ton of it, either the original Silver Age one or the 80s reboot that Wolfman wrote, Uh, but I've read a little bit of it, and I I think it's a really cool idea, and one that I think has resonated with a fair amount of people because it got pretty blatantly ripped off for the animated series Ben 10, and uh, they did a reboot of it recently at DC that is really good. So... Yeah, I like the idea of like, you know, this kid turns into random heroes, can't predict what they are, what they're going to be. I think the real pull of the original series for me when it was this dude named Robbie Reed who found the H-Dial in a cave somewhere, for whatever reason, he had a catchphrase that I thought was awesome, where he just kept saying, "Saka McGee! <laughs> and I'm like, that's a fun thing to say, alright. I'm on board with this weirdo and his rotary dial
2: phone. Like when he was surprised, he'd say that?
0: It could be an exclamation of surprise, delight, horror, shock, anything really. Oh, okay. Like, dude. Exactly. And then, yeah, as I said, there was the Marv Wolfman, and I believe Carmen Infantino was the artist on it, reboot of it, that came out in the early 80s, which was also interesting. The twist on it that time was that I can't remember if this has come up before. I think it might have briefly because the uh, Silver Fog was a character who came from that series. But the twist of that was all of the different heroes that appeared in it were submitted by readers, and if they used yours, then they sent you a t-shirt and said your name in the comic book, and then DC Comics owned that character, (laughs) which is not necessarily the best, like, licensing agreement, but on the other hand, I kind of get the impression that there are certain comic book creators that would be like, oh, you got a t-shirt for creating that character? You're up like 15 bucks on me. (laughs) So that's where Chris and Vicky came into it. They have a simplified version of the original H-Dial, because the original H-Dial had like a whole alphabet on it but it was in a weird language that was unrecognizable and robbie had to like rosetta stone that shit before he found out where the h the e the r and the o were and i think that was kind of interesting and then like he could dial in other things on it whereas vicky and chris only have four options two options well i mean they have four letters to choose from
2: oh i thought it was they just had to type out hero and they would get a power Oh, you, you don't type, it's a rotary dial. Well, that's, you know what I mean, like dial, H. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the rotary noise. Gotcha. H-E-R-O, unless you're all... Wackadoo. Yeah, and you dial it backwards, is that why she turned evil? I think so, or
0: she did it because she was already evil, and by evil I mean she was a woman who had feelings. <laughs> yep. It's pretty confusing, especially because in the original comic books, Robbie would dial O R E H all the time. He had to do that to stop being whatever hero he had turned into.
2: Hmm. And then later, via exposition, we also learn that one of the reasons why Vicky is so formidable is she's not actually relying on the dial because all the hero powers live inside her because of evil. Yeah. Yet she still is like, I have to dial it backwards just to make things weird and creepy. <laughs> right? I don't know. Yeah,
0: it it doesn't hold up that well to close <laughs> examination. Part of what I think is really frustrating about the, I don't know, uh, if women, especially adolescent women, have feelings that are too strong, it's probably going to destroy the universe theme that this book has, is that I feel like there is another more interesting, more fitting to the story theme that is sitting right there in terms of addiction. Like, mm-hmm. it could have just been set up that she was addicted to being the hero and then she had to stop doing it and she, she misses that fix or whatever. Like, there's that analogy built in there and it's one that has been used, especially where it's like it lasts for an hour and then it wears off. Like, she needs a stronger dose each time type of thing. That's a story that I think has been used a lot with there's a hero called Our Man who would take a pill and then he would be strong for an hour and then it would wear off. And so that story has been revamped a few different times and told in terms of being an analogy for addiction. And I think that that's kind of an obvious story that this could have been telling instead of it just being, you know, women and their feelings.
2: And the weird thing to me about it is it's not like Wolfman is incapable of writing a, you know, a strong, reasonable female character like Dr. Sarah Charles Mm -hmm. is great in this issue. Like she calls Cyborg on his bullshit and she's sad, you know, when he acts like a jerk, but she is empowered and, you know, it's, it's like a healthy adult, I felt. With the exception
0: of she does try to convince Cyborg that they have a healthy relationship by likening herself to being the Terry fucking Long to his
2: Wonder Girl. I think she says (laughs) more like, well, in comparison to them, it's not that bad because he's like super old.
0: (laughs) I think this is the first time in the comic books that their age difference between Sarah and Vic has been acknowledged. Mm -hmm. like it's something that we've discussed just because of we know what his age is and we know what her job is and how long she would have had to be in school for it but uh it is weird to see it brought up and having vic make the argument no it's different because it's normal for an older dude to date a younger lady but our situation is weird and i hope that he is supposed to be unreasonable when he says that but i'm honestly not sure
2: yeah, no, that that would have been a fine time to be like, hey, I get that's hypocritical, or whatever. Like, it would have been pretty easy to pop that in. Yeah. I mean,
0: Sarah is just like, that doesn't hold water. And Sarah comes off pretty good in those pages, certainly better than Cyborg does. If for no other reason than we have seen this exact same argument between the two of them, what, three or four times now? Mm-hmm. And each time at the end of it, except for this time, Vic has acknowledged that he was wrong and was being an idiot. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sick of this story, frankly. Like, I think she should abandon him. Because he doesn't have a different argument. The only difference in his argument this time is saying, like, no, there's other stuff, too.
2: Yeah, I am hopeful that this is the end of that, because we see Sarah Charles flying to... San Francisco on an airplane being sad. We see Vic punching a bus, which I guess is the bookend on that. I don't know.
0: I doubt it. I think we will get this exact same scenario at least one more time. I did notice when he punches the bus, the bus driver's like, "Oh, Mr. Cramden's going to kill me over this.
2: I know it's funny. I was trying to mentally do the math on that. I was like, "Well, would he still be alive? And if so, I suppose it's reasonable he'd have finally worked his way up the chain to be a bus supervisor." But yeah, I I honestly was thinking, like, "Well, good for Ralph Cramden from The Honeymooners." I thought he was going to be driving that bus forever.
0: Nope, he really worked his way up in the organization. I felt so
2: bad for that that
0: bus driver. Can you imagine? What the fuck, Cyborg? Do you think you're Nighthawk that when you're pissed, you just go and? destroy public property and endanger lives and there's no repercussions for that either. He doesn't even apologize. He's just like, "I'm mad. I'm going to I'm going to knock out a bus like I'm fucking Mongo from Blazing Saddles." Um did he punch a horse? Yeah, he punched out a horse. Got it. I'm trying to keep up, man. <laughs> Sorry. Less impressive than punching out a bus. You're right. But arguably meaner. I got you. I did think it was kind of funny when Vicky is chasing Chris around and just continually kicking his ass. If you're pissed at somebody whose last name is King, I feel like maybe you should call them by their first name. Because I kept reading it just like, I'm going to destroy you, King. Like, look at this King, you know? Mm -hmm. It It just created this weird dissonance where I was just like, wait, is she saying like what a great guy he is? Is she being ironic there? Oh, his last name is King. Got it. Okay. That was part of
2: my confusion. Speaking of confusion, just going through my notes here, by page five, I have a note to myself, still confused. <laughs> Danny Chase, saved Starfire from drowning, but by levitating above skyscrapers?
1: Yeah,
0: I was a little bit confused about that too. I guess maybe he got her far away enough from Vicky when she was made out of water that she couldn't control the water that far away.
2: Oh, and then Starfire could just, like, cough it out.
0: Yeah, but that took a lot of supposition on my part, and really based on not a ton. It also was weird that he was like, oh, it's struggling so much, and it's hurting me to raise her that high in the air, but I have to do it. And I was like, I keep coming back to it, but dude, you picked up a space shuttle, (laughs) right? Like, not that long ago. And you also, like, flew yourself and Nightwing up to the top of the Arc de Triomphe for no particular reason. Like, you have crazy powerful telekinesis that has already been established as part of your whole deal. Stop walking it back. Like, I need to be able to flip over your trading card and check your stats on this shit.
2: Well, I mean, that's the thing with these nigh-omnipotent powers that a bunch of these characters have from time to time. Yeah, they're inconsistent. They have to be, otherwise be the Danny fucking chase story all the time.
0: Yeah. And I get why narratively they have to be pretty much nerfed from time to time. But then sometimes for little reason they get just turned all the way up to like 27 out of 10 for no particular reason other than but then he tried
2: really hard. Man, how's that for a like I know we don't have beholder be gone on this show, but like If a certain skill set of yours became available to you in such a way that it was a magnitude of, I don't know what, 20 times more powerful than normal, Mm -hmm. but you couldn't control what it was or when it happened. Oh, jeez. Would you want that? Probably? I mean, I guess there's not really a downside to it. I don't know. You've got a pretty strong constitution, but like... (laughs)
0: I I guess, like, if it was, like, physical strength, there could be times when it was just, like, oops, I just broke off my steering wheel. Guess we'll all die now. Yeah, that would be bad. But in terms of, like, I don't know, all of a sudden I'm 20 times as good at cooking? Like, worst case scenario, I don't notice during that time. If you're 20 times more empathetic? Oh, yeah, I wouldn't care for that, probably.
2: (laughs) We couldn't go outside without feeling something uncomfortable probably
0: so that was something that was weird in this book when raven's like oh shit lady you are having too many feelings i'm gonna take you to my special feelings of hers and so she just yoinks vicky to her uh standing on a stalagmite and yelling about feelings dimension Mm -hmm. for a few minutes yeah it's odd because the last time we saw that place it was the place where Raven went to have all of the feelings and they're way more intense and she can feel everyone in the universe's emotions right then. It was like her uh, emotional cerebro, you know? Mm -hmm. So it seems like taking Vicky there would have fucked everything up and maybe it did. What was going on with that?
2: Well, again, I was just struck with the wild inconsistency of the powers and even as it applies to interdimensional stuff. Mm-hmm. Because essentially, Vicky just gets so mad. She says, "I'm leaving," and then her mysterious controllers are like, "Oh, cool."
0: Yeah, she gets teleporting mad,
2: which mm-hmm.
0: I've been pretty angry before, but I've never just ended up in a different dimension because of it.
2: But like, one you wanted to get back to, too—that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Like, Raven zaps her away, and she's mm-hmm. just like, "Return me to Earth, do it!" Literally is what she says, and she's like, "Boop, back to Earth."
0: Well, I guess that's what comes from being one of the Children of the Sun, as we are told we will learn about next issue. What do you think Children of the Sun is gonna be?
2: Well, unfortunately, in my quest for trying to figure out what the fuck was going on, I did learn that.
0: <laughs> oh. Through some Googling. So. Well, I didn't. I have a guess, though. Can you tell me if I'm right? Sure. Does it have to do with Lilith? No. Oh, man. I thought we were going to get some more Lilith shit,
2: because isn't she the goddess of the sun now? Oh, yeah, that's right. No, no, the reference to Greek gods is more aspirational in this case. Mm. Well, that's too bad. Oh, is it a a publishing magnate? Getting warmer.
0: Well, that's what happens from being a child of the sun. Yeah, (laughs) getting warmer. (laughs) There was a thing towards the end, too, that I wasn't sure about. That it kind of does play into the I wish I had more confidence that the writing knew where it was going with this. Cause I think it might just be unintentional. But there's a point where Chris yells at Jericho, Jericho, can't you do something? Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) And
0: nothing happens. And I was like, did Jericho jump inside of Chris then? So I'm wondering if maybe that happened but it might just be inadvertent. Did you have uh, any feelings on that?
2: I had a feeling of confusion. (laughs) Like, there's no evidence that that happened.
0: Yeah, I guess maybe I'm just hoping it's foreshadowing, because otherwise it's just mean to Jericho (laughs) to have a character yell at him like, can't
2: you do anything? And the book is just like, I guess not. Oh, well. If you put yourself in Christopher King's place, it's not an unreasonable, like, Basically, he he's like, I'm going to go see the Teen Titans. They're going to help me out of this mess. They all got their asses kicked. Jericho's the last guy standing. He's like, dude, come on. Do something. And Jericho's like,
0: uh, you want me to break out my acoustic guitar? <laughs> Paint you a mean landscape. <laughs> uh, I mean, I could try to do lemurize on this lady, but she's made out of diamonds. I don't know. Yeah. I did think there was an interesting thing that the story did where... The Titans were wondering why Chris came to them as opposed to anybody else. And he brought up the fact that they were the only superheroes who had a public address. And I thought that was kind of interesting. I like that being kind of a consistent through line for the Teen Titans, where, like, in one of those articles in People or whatever, it had their address. I guess it probably wouldn't be that hard to find their address just because they live in a giant T-shaped skyscraper anyway. But, like, even going back to the earliest Teen Titans, they had been getting fan mail from people. There's an address to send it to when Beast Boy first showed up. They had their private television station that any teenager could stop by and make a video that they would watch. Mm -hmm. I like that that is a consistent thing for them. There is, like, a Teen Titans hotline you can call.
2: Yeah, if you think about it, they're kind of like... um pioneers of what would become social media influencers Mm -hmm. they're like just taking the medium that was available to them to put themselves out there and you're right about the tower like if they ever want to walk that back they pretty much have to move
0: (laughs) yeah i mean it's tough to make a t into another letter the only thing i could think of would be they could build a couple stories on it and make it a lowercase t or be like no t no this is a this is a
2: cross We're an evangelical ministry. Well, that's the thing. I mean, though, like, it's public knowledge already that, like, people will put two and two together, even if it looks like a cross. Hey, that's where Titan's Tower used to be. We could go see if they're there. Will they,
0: though? I mean, this
2: is a universe where Superman's disguise is putting on a pair of
0: glasses. Maybe they could just put a big fake mustache and a pair of glasses on the skyscraper.
2: Oh, that's true. Giant trench coat and a fedora. I could have sworn that the Titans lived here, but that just looks like a regular building, wearing a trench coat and fedora. I mean, might be a couple buildings standing on each other's shoulders, but we'll never know. Okay, well, darn. Guess I'll just let demons
0: conquer the universe. Maybe Booster Gold's available. Well, shit. Are you ready to move into the minutia, or is there anything else you wanna talk about
2: before we do that? Um, I think it will all come out in the minutiae.
0: Alright. Well, Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like
1: Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff.
2: Thanks, Rick. So Cory, what do you feel like starting off with? You want to switch things up and go straight to the president of the drama club? Yeah, let's do it. Which character in this book acted, or rather overacted, in the
0: most dramatic fashion?
2: Well, my first thought was, well, okay, yeah, we got to go with Vicky, but actually, the way that this character is written and being controlled by evil forces, maybe that's not overacting. Mm-hmm. So then I went to Chris King, because the whole like first three or four pages, he's got really extreme expressions on his face. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, well, that's probably not overacting, too, because somebody's trying to kill him. And then he really doubles down on the not understanding feelings thing very well when he says, you know, I never forgot about her, but I didn't think of her either. Yeah, you know, exes, am I right? (laughs) That's a paraphrase, but it's pretty close. So I was like, no, okay, you're disqualified. So I went with Cyborg for punching that bus, and before so doing one of those, no, like, with lots of O's and exclamation points in the middle of a crowded crosswalk.
0: Yeah, no, I had the same thing. I I wrote down, cyborg
2: punching a bus. Boo! Like... I think you and I both have probably hurt ourselves hitting walls in our teenage years.
0: Uh, Sadly, after my teenage years, yeah, I once once punched a wall while I was at work and broke my fist.
2: Yeah, it's a terrible, terrible idea, especially if you're not a cybernetic superhero.
0: Yeah, I forget that sometimes. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
2: And so we both have excuses. You were at work. (laughs) I was a teenager, but Cyborg... Well, I guess technically still a teen, but... He no, seems... he's
0: not. He says he is 20 years old.
2: Okay, well, it's official then. He's the uh, president of the drama club. He
0: is indeed.
2: Yeah, man, so that time that I broke my hand. Do you remember that happening? I have a vague memory. Was that a Tennessee Reds era wall punching?
0: No, this was at the Matador. An acquaintance of mine came in and needed to get their car jump started. And so I was, I was like, okay, uh talked to the other bartender and was like, I'll be back in like five minutes. I'm going to go help this guy jumpstart his car. So ran across the street, jumpstarted the guy's car. But my car, it was used car, but it was new to me. And it automatically locked the doors if you left the car running. And so I got locked out of my car, but it was still running in the parking lot across the street from my work. And the guy who I just jumped the car to was like, all right, thanks, see ya. (laughs) And so I kept running back and forth between work and my car and trying to break into my car. And I couldn't do it, but I was sure that if I just left it running, then somebody else would figure out how to do that. And so I just got really frustrated and then I punched the wall and then that broke my hand. I think part of why it broke my hand when I punched it too was because I was expecting it to be like a sheetrock wall, which you can punch and not break your hand sometimes, but you shouldn't anyway. But instead of sheetrock, we had put a piece of plywood up against that wall so that in the kitchen we could practice throwing knives at ninja stars because we were grown-ups. And plywood has a lot less give than sheetrock.
1: <laughs>
0: oh. And then so I was cooking for that shift. So I had to keep trying to, like, cook orders while icing my hand and running across the street to try to break into my car. And it was not a very fun night at work.
2: So... I'm laughing, but I don't know if this proves the tragedy plus time is comedy thing out or if it's like the exception that proves the rule.
0: I think it was pretty funny to most people who weren't me almost immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, 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 and I I passed out too because (laughs) (laughs) I got pretty low blood pressure and all of the blood went to my hand.
2: (laughs) Oh, shit, dude. Yeah. That's terrible. Was that your Cadillac? That was, yeah. That car was cool, but I feel like it
0: was bad news for you. It caused a lot of problems. I loved that car, though, so much. I I know it's come up on the show before, but it was a a 1991 black Cadillac with leather interior that I got for $1,500, something like that. And there was probably a reason why it was that little, but I loved that car so much. I named it Sydney Poitier because it was black on the outside, black on the inside, leathery and dignified. Mm, That was a cool car. Anyway, yeah, Cyborg is the president of the drama club. Corey, were you able to find a timestamp this issue?
2: I was. I have two of them. One is, I think, the most obvious. We've already talked about it, but it's the uh, rotary telephone references. Yeah, rotary telephone dials are
0: something that we have discussed on the show before. Uh, I was actually talking to my mom recently about that, and she was remembering when she was really young, she used to practice trying to dial the rotary phone as quietly as she could in case somebody broke into the house and she had to dial 911. Because there really wouldn't have been a way to do that quietly. She said she was never able to, but she did used to practice it.
2: Whoa, man. How does that occur to a kid? Like, you gotta see a scary movie or... I don't
0: know. Yeah. I, I mean, it's not like there's a dearth of scary movies. And, uh, yeah, I think that's the kind of thing where it's just like, once that pops into your head, then you do it. hmm And there really isn't a way to silently dial a rotary phone. Mm-hmm. For my timestamp, I wonder if it's the other one that you had. It's also something that reminds me of my mom. It is the Jane Fonda workout.
2: (laughs) I did not have that one, but I remember that LP.
0: Yeah, when Donna is doing her workout, Chris asks her why she is doing the superhero Jane Fonda workout. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's like, oh, yeah. 88 is when this comic came out. That would have been after the, I think, peak of popularity of the Jane Fonda workout. But uh, they kept releasing new versions of those videos, I think right up until like the early to mid
2: 90s. I remember being a kid and having just, you know, when only PBS came in and uh, they would show, I don't know if it was Jane Fonda, but it were, there were these workouts where there was like a lead woman in the front and two or three ladies behind her. Doing mm-hmm. their workout, and there was always one woman in the back who occasionally would just be like, "Woo," <laughs> really loud. Yeah,
0: in the Jane Fonda workout, like she says "Woo" a lot because we listened to that record a lot because my mom did that workout a lot. My grandfather really liked watching the
1: <laughs> the workout
0: videos. It wasn't the Jane Fonda one, but it was one of the PBS ones. He he would uh, you would do the aerobics with it, and he was kind of a health nut, but I don't think that was the primary reason he was watching that show.
2: Uh, can't work out to Benny Hill, so.
0: That would be actually a pretty good workout, though, if you tried to <laughs> run, run at the same <laughs> pace that they did when they're running around like that. That's uh, Corey,
2: we're sitting on a goldmine, the Benny Hill workout. <laughs> we are got to be the only, like, two people in our 40s that, like, have referenced that show.
0: I doubt it. It was the only show you could see boobs on PBS on for a while. That's true. There's probably a lot of people that grew up with that. Yeah.
2: All right. No, my other timestamp was on page five, and it's in one of the cityscapes. There is a billboard for uh, TDK cassette tapes.
0: Ah, yeah. There were a bunch of billboards. There were a bunch of, like, really lovingly drawn advertisements on the sides of buildings. There was one for, uh, shit, what was the drum company? Uh, Tama? Yeah. Tama drums and there's a little thing under it that one that says like Kubert something and I think that's a little nod to uh, Joe Kubert, who founded the Hubert uh, School of Comic Book Art.
2: Hmm. That's a really neat thing that the art team gets to do on these is put those, those kind of easter eggs in. Mm-hmm. Sartorially
0: speaking, what elements of fashion in this issue do you think are most worthy of note?
2: Man, I know we don't often focus solely on accessories for this segment, but I have to say one of my favorite things in this entire comic book is uh, Dick Grayson drinking out of that happy bat or smiley bat mug.
0: Yeah, I loved that too. He's got like his Nightwing logo, which is I think a modified baby blue version of the Batman logo, but it's got a smiley face on his coffee cup. And I also really loved that. Along similar lines in terms of things that are somewhat in the realm of fashion, but not really. I think it's interesting that the Titans have a plaid blue oven. (laughs) Did you catch that? How did I miss that? No, I didn't catch that. There's a scene where they're hanging out in the Titans' kitchen, and man, they have a giant kitchen with, like, really high ceilings in it. And,
2: uh... I see what you mean. Yeah, they have a blue plaid oven. Oh, Good for them. Yeah, I want that kitchen. Probably not so much the pink and white backsplash, but the rest of it, pretty dope. Yeah, it's like a fucking airplane
0: hanger in terms of the ceiling, too. I bet they don't even need a vent for their fucking stove top. Mm. Were there any more traditionally clothes-related fashion choices that you noticed?
2: Yeah, I had the 80s ladies headband festival.
0: yeah. That was pretty sweet, especially for me, at least the lady in the front who's wearing the baggy purple suit jacket with the purple headband. Mm-hmm. It's a really cool look. I really like that.
2: Yeah, she offsets it with like some mauve or lilac colored uh, lip gloss. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all it's like three or four shades of um purple or lavender. Very 80s, very stylish.
0: Mm-hmm. And the lady
2: behind her, yeah, looks like she has like a power tie wrapped around her head. Uh Uh-huh. And like a Indiana Jones, like bomber jacket and some jeans. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's a very solid look.
0: I I like the way both of those ladies are dressed. I also really like the way Sarah Charles dressed in her uh, breakup with Cyborg for the fourth time scene, or Mm. rather not break up with him, but be told that she is breaking up with him for the third or fourth time scene. But she's got like a nice like flash dance style sweatshirt that she clearly has like expanded the neck hole on and she's got some leg warmers and uh, it's a very good 80s look for her.
2: It is. I I don't know if those off one shoulder like asymmetrical sweaters are a thing anymore. But that's one of the few things I think from the 80s that if it hasn't come back, I'm surprised.
0: Yeah, I bet it probably hasn't. We just didn't notice. (laughs) that's possible
2: i think we probably
0: had a hand in bringing it back a few years ago when we uh we cut out the necklines of our t-shirts for our dance outfits for that siblings dance contest that we entered and uh i forget Corey did we win
2: yeah yeah we won um what was it best place yeah we won the top prize and uh
0: yeah, probably. Uh, our dance team helped bring back that style of flash dance expanded neckline shirts.
2: Well, good for us then.
0: Yeah, once again, you're welcome, society.
2: Hold on. I'm going to make a noise. Do it. Excuse me. You can identify it. Mmm. Gosh. Uh filling out a bank loan. Can you hear the, the pouring sound?
0: I'm holding it near the microphone. Oh, you're probably using an Erlenmeyer flask to uh, to do some chemistry.
2: Well, if you mean by seeing what the effects of ethyl alcohol on the human liver are, sure. You named your alcohol ethyl? You mean Jughead's
0: girlfriend?
2: Ah. <laughs> <laughs> That doesn't... Just don't even give that a rim shot.
0: Well, I wasn't going to include this. Okay, we'll maybe I will. If I do, Corey, I'm definitely giving it a
2: rim shot. <laughs> That's going to cost you a thousand Corey points. Oh, I can give some to Megan Bob. Make up for that <laughs> measly five you gave them.
0: every issue of a Teen Titans comic book has an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans, and also a Beast Boy, the worst of Teen Titans. In this issue, who did you have as your Aqualad, and who did you have as your Beast Boy?
2: Not Danny Chase, for either, which was just nice not to really have to think about him so much. Agreed. Let's start with uh, the good news. For my Aqualad, I went with Donna Troy for being sensible and just, you know, knowing that it stresses her out while Dick works through his detective process and channeling that stressful energy into a positive thing in the form of a workout.
0: Yeah, I also had Donna as my choice too, partly because for the most part, this is the setup for the story. So everything is going wrong for the heroes this issue. So none of them did a great job, I gotta say. But it is really difficult when you are in a stressful situation to not just try to do busy work, you know, to like not give yourself the illusion of progress by wearing yourself out doing things that aren't going to impact your situation. Instead, she's like, Well, nothing that I can do in terms of superheroics is actually going to be a help. If I try to do detective stuff, Dick's better at that. I would probably be getting in his way. I'm just going to stay back. Stay ready, relieve my stress, and also give myself a workout so that I'm in the best shape to help when it is time to help. And I appreciated that philosophy.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, she could be an example for us all. I do the other thing that you mentioned most of the time. Like, well, I have this project that's going to take about an hour of concentrated work, so I'm going to fuck around answering emails for <laughs> five hours so I don't have to do this thing.
0: Yep. I tend to do the same.
2: Conversely,
0: I don't think it's going to come as a huge shock. I had Cyborg as my beast boy.
2: For mixed messages and punching a city bus was what I wrote. Yep, there are a lot of reasons, but those are the big ones. He just, he does
0: a bad job. I am so tired of the one step forward, one step back, repeating loop of a breakup he is having with Sarah. He says, I think, like, I know I could be a stubborn ass, but I'm not being one now. I was like, dude, yes, you are. You don't get to make that judgment. I am sick of his garbage. He also lost an arm in a fight. Oh, man, I felt very bad for him about that. I know it's a robot arm, but still,
2: that is rough to watch. It is, but also if we're just judging these guys on their efficacy. Mm -hmm. It's a bad fight move. Yeah, it is a bad fight
0: move, although probably a relief for the mass transit systems of New York City. (laughs) One less arm to punch out buses with. Uh, Somewhere, Ralph Cramden is smiling. (laughs) I mean, Cyborg got off easy. If it was up to Cramden, Vic would have been pow zoom
1: to the (laughs) Let's
0: take this party to the
1: Bozo!
0: What instance of one character calling another character a bozo, either literally or metaphorically, do you want to focus on?
2: Two out of the three choices I had came from Vicky in her diamond form. hmm The first one was a basic fools on page 21 addressing the Titans, but my favorite was on page 16 where she says fools and worse. <laughs> Pretty good. My favorite also came from her and...
0: It's maybe a little bit of a stretch to call this a bozo moment. But I think this is a way of calling someone a bozo. But it was the thing that she said that made me most, like, wince a little when I heard it. And that was, everything you've learned is wrong. Mm. Ouch. I mean, that's especially painful because I hate learning. So to think that I went through all that trouble for nothing. Ouch. Well... So that was probably my favorite zinger in the issue, with the exception of one that is a little bit of a stretch. It's from the letters column. And I know that doesn't maybe count as part of the issue proper, but I think it is worth pointing out that one reader, a Joseph Gilbert, described Danny Chase as a junior grade dweeboid. Whoa. That is how I'm going to think of him from now on. A junior-grade dweeboid.
2: Dang. That's a timestamp, too, huh? Is it? I don't know. I associate the insult dweeb with the Breakfast Club movie. Oh. I don't know if it was common parlance before that, probably. But
0: Yeah, I don't know. What was the one that was from Fast Times at Ridgemont High?
2: I don't remember that movie. I know I've seen it more than once, but I, honestly, it's blanking for me. It's a portmanteau of a couple of words and I can't remember
0: what it is, but like the, the character actually spells it out and I was like, oh, that's where that word comes from, but now I can't think what it is. It's like a, a mix between a something and a weenie, but right now all I can think of is weenie, but I don't think that's what it was. <laughs> Let's have a Battle of the Band Names! In last week's contest, we crowned a new champion. Much to my surprise, as I think I evinced last episode, I really thought that an intelligent-looking girl was going to just kind of run the table on this contest for a while. But they were defeated by a single vote by... The new champion, Savage Assault of the Mind Rats.
2: No shit. I know. I did not see that coming.
0: Yeah, it, it was decided by a single vote. So if you want to make your voice heard, just uh, never let anyone tell you that your vote doesn't matter. Mm. But it does put us in the position of having to find a challenger for the new champ, Assault of the Savage
2: Mind Rats. So what do you got, Corey. Well, I'm going to start with one that's going to rub you the wrong way, as apparently it's an insult, Hub, but everything you've learned is wrong. <laughs> Man, that is pretty good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what kind of music do you think they play? Oh, jeez. I mean, it's got to be confrontational in some way.
2: I don't know. I, I tend to think of these bands that have like these long names as being more like guitar-driven, instrumental, atmospheric. Like Wyndham Hill artists? No, no. <laughs>
0: I don't see everything you know is wrong opening up a bill for a Mannheim steamroller, Corey.
2: <laughs> no, more like um I don't know. Like Mogwai? Yeah. Or music that's just like, you know, one or two people that sample a bunch of stuff themselves, like L ten Eleven. You know what I mean? Like kinda reverby, echoey guitar stuff. Okay.
0: I I can see that. I can also see them sounding kind of like Wilco or like Uncle Tupelo, you know?
2: It could be that, or it could just also be like Pantera.
0: Well, speaking of potential metal bands, I don't know if this would be a metal band. Its name would suggest that maybe it isn't, but it also sounds like one, ironically. Blood Not Metal. What? How did I miss that? That is great. That is something that Vicky says when she is ripping Cyborg's arm off. She is unsatisfied with ripping his robot arm off because she said she craves
2: blood, not metal. Dang. So if they don't play... Wait, is that one of those trick names? Do they play metal? Uh, I don't know. It's actually
0: two bands, one of whom always tells the truth. The other one always lies. They're guarding the entrances to two different backstage areas.
2: I can't handle an unreliable narrator with my music. <laughs> this is too much.
0: Okay. Then maybe they're not the band for you. Good name, though. I also had "Mano hmm. There is a character, I think it is Chris, says Man-O-Man, oh, man, but he says it all as one word. And I think that sounds kind of cool. Mm-hmm. There are is another band called Man-O-Man in which the O is capitalized. And there's another band called Man-O-Man in which every letter but the O is capitalized. So I don't know if that necessarily qualifies as a different name. There were a bunch of pre-existing band names that I found in this issue.
2: Yeah, me too. I, I don't think we can go for capitalization or punctuation as a
0: as a defining characteristic to separate it from an existing band.
2: Yeah, I think we have to rule that out.
0: Yeah, well, that takes half-cocked off the menu as well. And uh, Children of the Sun, because the Mm -hmm. band has
2: an umlaut over the U for some reason.
0: Well, I think they have an umlaut over the U because there's another band called Children of the Sun without an umlaut over the U. Oh.
2: I guess that's why Flesh Hammer from Maryland had all those umlauts. (laughs) No, that was
0: just because we wanted to sound cool. Oh, that's right. Another band that I had was All Right, All Right. It's just Matthew McConaughey playing bongos. No, that's All right, All right, All Right, All Right. All Right, All Right is just a two-piece. Oh, oh, shit. It's okay. uh, Matthew Modine <laughs> and Young Bradley Cooper.
1: Okay. Um. Both
0: of whom I mixed up with Matthew McConaughey for various reasons. <sighs> it's
2: just like that time I got the rock and Will Smith conflated.
0: It's exactly like that, Corey. Uh, what other band names
2: did you have? Okay, I had one that I am pretty sure is a metal band called Amidst the Burning Red. Ooh,
0: man, they're they're like folk metal.
2: Oh, that could be, yeah. They're sort of like The Sword, but even more fantasy, folky.
0: Yeah, they made a metal score to the whole Silmarillion. Oh, Jesus.
2: <laughs> I got a couple others. I think because the name... Reminds me of the String Cheese Incident. They're probably a jam band, but they are Giant Broccoli from Outer Space.
0: Yeah, I considered that one. I think maybe it's because they sounded so much like a jam band. I was like, no.
2: But I think it is a pretty good band name. And then another metal band is Ever Increasing Agony.
0: Oh, yeah, that's pretty good. Mm.
2: So I, despite being uncomfortably confused with their style of music and the amount of thought I have to put into it, just the way it sounds, I think Blood, Not Metal sounds the coolest.
0: Yeah, I think that is a pretty cool sounding band name. I
2: guess they would only be guarding one of the backstage
0: areas. The other band guarding it would have to be Metal, Not Blood. Wait, so
2: are they just like the security <laughs> guys and the... Are they playing the music or are they guarding No, the you
0: stage? have to defeat them in a battle of the bands to get to the backstage area in this scenario that I've created, which is unlike most backstage areas that I've... Uh, yeah, I don't know how that would work.
2: The goal is to get offstage.
0: Guardians of the Green Room.
2: Okay. Oh, that would be a great name for a band. <laughs> no, one, wouldn't, but I still like it. Thank you. It's not in this comic. We cannot use it. Okay, well, darn. Uh,
0: okay, well, yeah, I'm fine with going with Blood Knot Metal. So how how would we describe their paradoxical... Uh, We'll call it Soft Metal. <laughs> Ooh, like gold. Yeah. They're tough, but ductile. Mm-hmm. And shiny. <laughs> yes. The irony-rich, unreliable narrator, ductile metal of Blood Knot Metal will be going up against Savage Assault of the Mind Rats. Cut and print.
2: (laughs) Corey, what was your favorite panel? You know, despite my criticism of the story, I felt like a, a lot of the art in here was pretty great.
0: Yeah, it was really nice to see Eduardo Barreto and Romeo Tangal together again. It's been a few issues since we've seen that particular art team, and they are one of my favorite combos that we've gotten in this comic.
2: So, the first one that I'll call out is page eight. I called it Techno Silhouette. I think I'm not going to pick it as my favorite because I feel like I call out images like this all the time because they remind me of George Perez's art, which I love so much. Mm -hmm. Just all that machinery. In fact, is this a panel just with different people (laughs) that I've picked before? I feel like it might be where Mm -hmm. there's the silhouettes of them walking through a hallway that's backlit and then just a ton of machinery in the foreground.
0: Maybe, but it it does have that just epic feel of just like the silhouettes of people walking towards the camera. Mm. But I like that panel a lot too and I yeah, I like all the machinery in it. It's cool looking. I like the montage scene set against the backdrop of the H-dial that is Chris and Vicky and all of the various heroes they used to turn into. It's just cool looking.
2: It is, and there's a a timestamp in there, too, that I missed. The either sidekick or different form of one of uh, Chris King's heroes is, like, you remember those little fuzzy guys with the googly eyes and the feet that came in the, like, gumball machines?
0: Yeah, were they called, like, weevils or something? Weevils? I
2: I feel like they had some name, and it was definitely an 80s thing. Like, a bunch of kids had those, and there's totally one of those on that. Panel. Yeah,
0: I, re- I remember that from elementary school, and I don't really remember the context.
2: Also, his hero dial apparently possesses the ability to change the length and voluminousness of his hair. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a Fabio kind of mane in one of his iterations. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite panels
0: is when Vicky is the lady who's made out of water, and Donna punches her so hard, That it knocks a fish out of her. I had that too.
2: I said,
0: Donna punched a fish out of her. I called it fish punch. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I was like, wow, she smacked her so hard that it knocked a fish right out of her head. That's awesome. That's yet another reason why Donna wins the Aqualad prize in this issue.
2: Absolutely. Punched a fish out of the bad guy. Mm -hmm.
0: I also really liked a panel that I call Alone in a Crowd of eyeballs and it is Vic right before he punches the bus out there's just a scene of him looking dejected and alone he's doing that like Charlie Brown walk but in the background of the panel is just a bunch of different eyeballs with various expressions on them and then he yells no and punches a bus and says damn
2: is keeping with my theme of like is this supposed to be confusing
0: Yeah, I don't know what those eyeballs are supposed to represent unless they're the people on the bus, maybe. Or the people in the
2: crosswalk, or he's feeling judged, or ogled, or, like, what? I don't know, man. Tough to tell, but it is cool looking. It is cool looking. One of the things that
0: definitely added to my level of confusion in this issue is there's a lot of internal dialogue that is happening with Vicky, where she is having a conversation with whatever it is that is possessing her. And it's a back and forth, and it happens in these caption boxes, which are arbitrarily two different colors. It's not that Vicky's thoughts are one color and the entity's thoughts are another color. It's just, at random, the colors are mixed back and forth. And I found that really frustrating. Yeah, me too. Any other panels you wanted to call out?
2: I hate seeing Starfire get hurt, but the way that Diamond Vicky kicks her on page 27 it is super well rendered very dynamic martial artsy panel and
0: that's after on the previous panel she had punched her into Danny Chase
1: mhm which
0: i think i slightly prefer that cuz in that one uh Danny Chase is getting
2: injured mhm sorry there's loud music outside is that coming through
0: i can't hear it but that doesn't mean it's not on the recording
2: i think it's passing there's been a lot of bicycle parades going by is it naked bike ride time? They all had clothes on, so maybe they were on their way to one? Maybe. We live in an odd city.
0: Well, Corey, I have just one more question I gotta ask you. In the year of our Lord, 1989, and the month of our Lord, October, what was Aqualad probably up to, Corey?
2: Wa-poot. Hmm. In October of 1989, Aqualad and his uh, steadfast pal, Biki, decide to take some time off, and uh, were visiting Japan to take in all of the sights and sounds and find seafood that the nation had to offer. And they decided to take a little break from their coastal stuff and thought, hey, let's take in a, a Grand Prix race. Ooh which, uh, you know, neither of them were really students of the sport, but thought, hey, let's try something different. It'd be fun, right? Go see some cars, go fast. So they went to the Japanese Grand Prix at Suzuka. And uh, it turns out that this is one where it's kind of a little bit famous in Formula One circles, in large part because of the famed rivalry between the McLaurin teammates, Alan Prost and uh, Ayrton Senna. Those two were on the same team, but were always, like, really competitive. And they famously uh, collided and skidded into this escape road during the race. When that happened, Prost was like, ah, fuck, okay, we're out of it. Let's just get off to the side and get out of the way. And Senna waved over some of the crew, and they basically pushed him back onto the track. And he went and got back in the race and won the fucking thing, despite being behind. Later, he got disqualified, and a $100,000 fine levied against him, as well as a six-month ban that was labeled as a dangerous driver, and, like, just all this shit went down and was not great for him. And that was, in part, some of the legacy that he took with him from that race, and everybody thinks that the whole reason for that was their competitive nature, and, you know, neither guy wanted to back down. Turns out, Aqualad and Beaky were in the stands, and... you know those giant, I don't know if they're like a liter or two liter, like those giant Japanese beers that come in uh, the cans? Let's see, Sapporo or I don't, i can't oh, yeah, remember yeah, the brand. Yeah. Those giant cans, they got a bunch of those. And also one of Beaky's absolute favorite snacks, those smoked dried cuttlefish. Yeah,
0: I've heard that they're good, but uh, I don't eat cephalopods.
2: Yeah, I know. So I'm sorry, this is uncomfortable for you, but it's one That's of Biki's okay. favorite snacks. So I can understand that. They got a giant bag of toast, they got their giant cans of beer, and they were having themselves a time not really paying a whole lot of attention to the race, but suddenly a giant gust of wind picks up and takes the remainder of Iki's dried cuttlefish snacks and just scatters them to the wind. And he freaks out and takes off. At this point, he had had a few, and he was flying erratically, and also the cuttlefish were flying in different directions because, you know, they were small, lightweight, airborne things. And it turns out it was a Attempting to avoid splattering this drunk pelican across the front of his car that caused the crash. Not that dangerous move that lost him the race.
0: Ah, uh, oldest story in the book.
2: Yeah. Side note, Senna was dating Brazilian TV personality Jussia. Really? Yeah, at the time of that race, who uh, I think you used as an example of how to pronounce Zuhux, that trippy magical three-armed. Multi eyed guy from Defenders. Oh, I thought
0: that was who you meant was dating the race car driver. Aru, Aru! Different shoeshoe. Oh, okay. Interesting stuff. Thank you. Well, that's part of what Aqualad and Beaky were up to, but it's not the only thing that Aqualad was up to. Because other than that, Aqualad was flying out to Hollywood to support what he thought was a well-earned and long-overdue accolade. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but Aqualad is a big fan of comic books. And in the DC universe, Marvel comic books exist as comic books. So Aqualad grew up reading Black Panther and uh, Luke Cage Power Man were some of his favorites. He also really liked Vampirella. And so when he (laughs) saw that Billy Graham was going to be (laughs) honored with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Uh. He was like, renowned comic book artist, Billy Graham is getting a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame? That's terrific. I love Billy Graham. Groundbreaking artist. One of the first black artists who was hired by Marvel. Tremendous talent. Well-earned. So he called and asked if he could speak at this event. (laughs) And he, he, he showed up there, and when he showed up, he was told, uh, Oh, oh, Aqualad, I think there was a, mis- a misunderstanding. We meant the other Billy Graham. And Aqualad was like, Oh, you must mean superstar Billy Graham, the famed professional wrestler. I'm not as big a fan of him, but you know what? He's a pretty talented guy. He's had a big influence on the industry. I can see why you want to honor him with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Since superstar Billy Graham had spent most of his career as a heel, Aqualad thought it might be fun to poke a little fun at that and uh, cut a promo on superstar Billy Graham as part of the ceremony. So he came out dressed in superstar Billy Graham's costume, which consisted of like a big feather boa and a tie-dyed muscle shirt. And he came out and he started talking about how Billy Graham was the meanest, most immoral man in the business and how we should all recognize that. And everybody started booing and he was rushed off the stage. And he's like, oh, well, I mean, I guess that was kind of the intent. I I was paying tribute to him by acting like a heel. But no, it turned out the Billy Graham who was getting a star was in fact the televangelist Billy Graham. And people misunderstood Aqualad's speech as being derisive of him, in part because Aqualad was dressed very flamboyantly in the manner of a professional wrestler. They thought Aqualad was doing what he would have done, I think, if he had known which Billy Graham it was, which was speaking out against the televangelist's famed homophobia. And when he found out what it really was, Aqualad was like, well, glad I spoke out against him, even if it was inadvertently. And that is what Aqualad was probably up to on October 15th of 1989. Nice. Sadly, neither comic book artist Billy Graham nor professional wrestler superstar Billy Graham has yet been awarded that Star on the Walk of Fame. I guess maybe they have a one Billy Graham maximum for that, but that really doesn't seem fair. I think they should take that star away from the televangelist because, um, fuck that guy. Word. And that's what Aqualad was up to. <laughs> what a month. No kidding. Corey, thank you so much for joining us and talking about this comic. We will be back next week with a Defenders issue where we'll learn what the Gargoyle is up to and the results of his... Decision that he made. Looking forward to finding that out, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks to find out what's going on with that pesky old H dial, Saka McGee. <laughs> in the meantime, if you would like to get into touch with us, you can do so by reaching us at Tighten Up the Defense, P.O. Box two zero three one one, Portland, Oregon nine seven two nine four. As this is the future, we can also be reached electronically, can you believe it, at ttwasteland at We're also up on various parts of the internet. Just, you know, hack into the mainframe, and if you can beat LeBron and his Toon Squad at a game, then Don Cheadle will grant you access to my dumb thoughts on various subjects.
2: Holy shit, have you seen that movie already? I haven't. Have you? No. I think that's what happens in it, right? Oh, shit. I should watch it to find
0: out. Yeah, probably. It's got Damian Lillard in it. I know that. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So, yeah, if you'd beat Don Cheadle or LeBron James, I forget who you have to beat. Just don't lose at Internet Basketball. And uh, you can vote in our Twitter poll about band names. There you go. Lucky you. And hey, If you can't find us in any of those places, there's one more place you can look. And that's deep inside your heart. We'll be in there. We always have been, and we always will be. Corey, what are you going to be doing in people's hearts this
2: week? Hmm, that's a good question. I'm usually either baking pies or tidying up. Oh, that's just like that Roddy Roddy Piper quote.
0: I came here to bake pies and tidy up,
2: and I'm all out of tidying up. Or pies, either way. I'm going to take a nap. Very nice. I love naps. I love naps when you drift off into the sleep. I don't like naps when you wake up and you're just like, what the fuck is going on? Everything's confusing and loud.
0: Yeah, sowing is better than reaping, turns out. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm going to be up to in people's hearts this week? Hmm. I'm going to be wishing happy birthday thoughts to... Rebecca on the 10th, and uh, her son, Evan, on the 19th. So I guess only one of those is this week. But uh, hey, guys, happy birthdays, respectively. And I'd like to apologize in advance for having no doubt warped young Evan's mind. It is his first birthday, and apparently he has spent some of that time listening to us talk. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. Oof. Good luck with that one, Rebecca and Aaron. (laughs) Happy birthday, guys. We got you some wrong information. Ooh. (laughs) Hey, Evan. Everything you've learned is wrong. Oh, there you go. Probably not everything in general, but everything from us, certainly. Mm. So, yeah. Happy birthday, guys. If you'd like to support the show monetarily, you can check us out at patreon.com slash Wasteland. If you do, you get access to all kinds of bonus material. There is the monthly podcast, What the Duck? A podcast most foul, but with a W, because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. That is the Howard the Duck podcast that I co-host with my wife, Lisa. There is also a whole bunch of other bonus material in the form of video reviews of classic comic books and just other audio podcasts that we've done for our donors. So uh, if you donate, then you can uh, check out all that fun stuff. And you can also have my extreme gratitude. Mm. Thank you. Extreme gratitude. (laughs) That was my favorite event at the X Games. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like regular gratitude, but with more Mountain Dew. Code Red? Or possibly, li- no wait, LifeWire's the bad one. <laughs> Look, I don't, I, don't, I don't mean to diminish anybody's experience with Mountain Dews of various kinds. If you like the gross ones, that's fine. If you like major melons, it's just, sorry, singular probably. <laughs> if you like major melon Mountain Dew, you know what? Go out there and live your life. But uh, for me, it's regular. Then Code Red, then very, very distant third would be Livewire. I think Livewire has a little bit of my regular gratitude. Mountain Dew has my extreme gratitude. Oh, jeez. What? That's how you showed it. It's extreme. It's a combination of Mountain Dew and uh, badly scattered guitar solo.
2: Oh, okay. That's like an electric guitar thing.
0: Yeah, you couldn't tell.
2: No, I got it. Now I
0: got
1: it. It's good. Yeah, no.
2: Are clear?
0: That's extreme gratitude, Corey. Yeah, what else? And you'll have my extreme gratitude if you spread the word about the show and tell all of your friends and enemies that they should listen. Cuz you know your friends will love it and your enemies will hate it. It's a fun uh what's a shibboleth. That's not what that word means, but you know, whatever. Pretty good. Another thing you could do is to uh, leave a review of the show in a place where a review can be left. Corey, what would an example of a review someone could leave be?
2: Um, an example of a review that someone could leave might be this podcast is about comic books, but so much more. Mm. Five stars.
0: Yeah, that's pretty good. I especially liked the setup. You were, I felt like you were this close to saying... Webster's defines review of a podcast
2: as tighten up the defense. Five stars. There we go. Until next week, Saka McGee.
0: Aru aru. <laughs> oh, looks like our old pal Shusha is here, fresh from marrying a race car man. Oh, they were just dating. Oh, sorry, things didn't work out, Shusha. Both in dating the race car man and in uh, dying from the um, backwards and Rand birds. What magic? Isn't that what happened to Shusha in the comics? Didn't backwards and oh, Rand? I, I, keep, man I thought you were
2: talking about the the lady, not the magician.
0: Ah, uh, I keep forgetting they're different people.
2: The guy was Shusha.
1: I'm pretty sure it was. It's pronounced Shusha. It's spelled different. Bye! Bye. <laughs> oh no. Alright, I'm gonna stop
2: recording. <laughs> Should we do a different ending? Nah.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and they knew it.
1: you tried
0: those hard root beers? I think I did pretty soon after they came out and was like, it tastes okay and it is an instant stomachache. I didn't really care for it. Yeah. I don't know, man. You don't need to trick me into drinking booze, (laughs) (laughs) right? It's like when they had that like purple ketchup stuff that came out in the 90s. Do you remember that? Like purple or green ketchup? No. What a stupid thing to do. Yeah, it's like, yeah, because it's so hard to get kids to eat their fucking ketchup.
2: <laughs> well, I guess that was around the time maybe when it was still considered a vegetable in school lunches. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> maybe. But I feel like that's what the, like, hard root beer is. It's like, you, you don't need to trick kids into drinking booze. They're going to do it anyway. <laughs> They're
2: already acclimated to Four loco and the like.
0: Uh, there was just a noise at your end. Do you It know was what that my was?
2: old chair. Okay.
0: There's been a bunch of that lately.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think I need a new chair. I'll try and sit very still.
0: Okay, I would appreciate that. (laughs) Okay. No moving. And also, I've noticed that when you smile, it it, it affects the volume, so just try not to do that either.
2: How about breathing? (laughs) Hmm. If you
0: could hold off on it for the next hour or so, that would really help things out from an audio standpoint. (laughs) All right.
2: right. I've been working on my breath control, so we'll see how it goes. Nice. Risk isn't going to sound like Julia Child (laughs) when I speak. Oh, that's a shame. (laughs) (laughs) Wonder Girl! (laughs) That's what she sounds like, right?
1: Yeah, that's a beautiful Julia Child impression. Impressions are kind of my thing. Yeah, I know.